From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 197. Today's show is brought to you by Linode, FreshBooks, and Casper. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Howdy, Jason Snell. Hello, Mr. Mike Hurley. It's uh, nice to be back. Well, yes. Uh, it's not so nice for me. I am struggling <laughs> um, with with jet lag, but nobody cares about that because we have a special guest. Ha-ha, you thought I was going to snow talk, but I was not. Um, we would like to welcome James Thompson to the show purely because he's in Jason's house. Hi, James. Uh, I want to know why you're recording a podcast in my bedroom. It's a good question. <laughs> I have no good answers. <laughs> it, it was easier to let me join in the podcast than get me out of the room, basically. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. James Thompson is currently staying in uh, the recording studio at uh, Snell Towers. So here we go. Mm-hmm. We're all together. But it is a perfect time to have a guest like James because we have a lot of things to talk about. Many more things to reflect on from last week. But before we do, I have a hashtag Snell Talk question and it comes from Rick. And Rick wants to know, Jason, did you try one of those whizzy new scooters in San Jose at WWDC last week? Uh, well, we had a great clockwise episode that I was on where I um, I was asked about scooters and I said, uh, are you kidding? I have a family. I have so much to live for. Why would I ride on one of those scooters? And then you know what happened, Mike? Um, Tiffany Arment happened. Mm, yes. <laughs> she basically said, oh man, you got to try the scooters. They're so fun. They're so fun. You don't even have to sign up for an account. I'll just, uh, and this is violating the terms of service of the scooter, by the way, I'll just uh, check one out and you can just ride it around. And uh, I, I agreed to that because she's very persuasive. And, yep. and then I rode a scooter. And we literally saw people with broken legs from the scooter. Yeah. And then she texted you, Mike, and said, Jason's riding a scooter. Get down here. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I ran as fast as I could to see Jason flowing in the wind uh, on, a, on a very Indeed. speedy scooter. And it My was, hoodie it was, was trailing behind me like a magnificent cape. Mm-hmm. It was wonderful. Thank you so much to Rick for his hashtag SnellTalk question. If you would like to open the show, just send in a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk and you may be picked for a future episode. Uh, speaking of last week, what a week it was. Hey? We had a very good week, Oof. I think. Uh, lots, lots of content put out into the world. Um, mm. uh, if you have not heard episode 196 of Connected, I recommend that you do so. It was a, a Real FM variety extravaganza, um, as well as the Connected crew. The show was opened wonderfully by Stephen Hackett, Jason Snell, and Serenity Caldwell. They had a really great discussion uh, before the Connected crew caused a ruckus, I guess would be. Yeah, there was <laughs> some nonsense. It. Yeah, we got, yeah. we got all of the sensible stuff at the beginning, all of the actual good discussion, and then there was trophies and all kinds of nonsense. So um, uh-huh. I recommend that you read it, and I will say again, Jason, thank you so much for uh, being a part of that show. Um, it was great to have you. Yes, you should definitely read that podcast. Or listen to it, whatever. Mike's jet-lagged, it's fine. Did I say read? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I quit. Read the podcast, people. Thanks for listening (laughs) to episode 197 of Upgrade. Are you pivoting to text? Is that where we're going? Yeah, that's it. That's that's where all the money is, is what I'm told. Um, We did announce at the end of that episode that we're going to be doing some live shows in October, and Chicago is going to be one of them. Uh, Relay FM members had a first uh, crack at the tickets, but if you go to our show notes this week at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 197 or look in your podcast player of choice, we have a very small number of tickets left um, as at the time of recording, just 
20. So if you want to come see me and Jason and a special guest or two in Chicago in October, uh, go to the show notes, click on the link, and you may be able to come and join us. And we hope to see you there. Looking forward to that. More live yeah. shows. And, I uh, love it. Will this be our first ever upgrade of an audience? Oh, will it? I it think might it be. might be. We've done lots of shows together. We've been on many, like we've had audiences together, but I don't think we've ever done an episode of Upgrade of an Audience before. Not technically. I think I think that may be right. But you can... Well, it's, uh, it's This is just time. the beginning. It's just time. the beginning, right, of the Upgrade World Tour. I think that's what which has one there. stop right now, which is in Chicago. <laughs> yes, I mean it's a very slow moving it's like, tour. It's like the is it, is it, would you say it's the first annual uh, upgrade tour? I like, wouldn't want to say that because I don't know if it will, if we were doing it again, it'd be in October. You know, like what if we did it yeah, in like May or something? Who knows? That's true. It could be more than annual. Exactly. Who I knows? hope so. I hope so. All right. So there you go. Come see us in Chicago. Um, we look forward to to performing in front of you. I guess. Um, I have some very, very slow late follow-up about HomePods. Um, before uh-huh. WWDC, like just after the draft, um, iOS 11.4 was released, and it included AirPlay 2. And Jason, I wanted to get your quick impressions on what it's like to run uh, stereo HomePods and have multiple HomePods in your house, because I know that you have that and you've tested that. Yeah, I had a, I actually had a second HomePod in a box, <laughs> unopened. And I just would walk by the box going, someday, someday I'll take you out of the box and we'll try AirPlay 2 and stereo pairing. And so I did that. The day finally arrived. And uh, it's stereo. That's It's exciting. If you play stuff that's got uh, pretty strong stereo panning, like uh, I, I like to do the Beatles because that was in the early days of stereo where they did a lot of sort of just panning everything hard to the right or to the left. Everyone was super excited about this new technology, so they just went wild with it. I think some engineers were excited about it. I I think uh, what I've read about the Beatles is that the artists were kind of like, they thought it was a, like an afterthought, like the, yeah. the stereo mix in Sgt. Pepper that everybody has heard when they did the remixed version, uh, the remastered version last year, they said that they weren't even around for the stereo mix. They, they sweated the mono mix and then... And then they they just let their engineers screw around with the stereo mix, and so they tried to make a better stereo mix this time. Um, so you know somebody was enamored with the idea of oh on Norwegian wood we can pan the sitar all the way to the left and the guitar all the way to the right, and we can just do that. And on the HomePod by itself, there's no pa- stereo panning like it doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Like it tries to do a bunch of 3D audio stuff, but what it's not doing is trying to represent the audio field of the stereo. Uh, stereo signal. It's trying to create its own sort of 3D audio field based on how it's interpreting the sound. But if you put two home HomePods uh, in a stereo pair, which is fairly easy to do, you basically say, yes, I do want to put these two HomePods in the same room, and it asks you if you want to be in a stereo pair, and then that's it. It's done, and it looks like one HomePod, and you can play to it, and then you get that sort of stuff in the left and stuff in the right. And it it fills my front room much more effectively than the single HomePod does. Right. Um, you know, for a price, because the HomePod's not cheap and you have to have two of them to do this. Um, and the other other thing, if you've got two HomePods you can do with AirPlay 2, is it's more easily, uh, you know, you from from uh, an iOS device or even on the HomePod itself to say, play this song in these rooms, and then you get multi-room audio too, which is not a new thing, but it's new for the HomePod. Do you think that there's going to be a time when Apple tries to sell you a two-pack? Like, do you think that's the thing that they might do? <laughs> 
you know, given that we've heard that HomePod sales are slow, I, I wonder if they will offer, I don't know about a two pack, but uh, like a deal. Mm-hmm. Like a buy, you know, buy one, get one for half off yeah, kind of that thing. that was kind of more uh, than like one box, like, you know, like the, the Amazon thing. Where, where well, I was thinking, yeah, yeah, a six pack of, ta- of tablets. Yeah, exactly right. Well, I was thinking like Costco. Are you going to see a HomePods at Costco, but you have to buy two? You could imagine like, you know, because they're round like that, that, you know, you could put them in one of those little can holder type things, you know, mm-hmm. you could just walk around. It would be great. Like a little like, cup holder. like a... Like a like a tube of lifesavers, except there are, are home yeah. pods inside, and you just squeeze yeah. out a couple of home pods when you need them. Sure, so many great packaging opportunities. Why are we not in charge of marketing? I know, right? But yeah, it does seem like eventually they're going to say, "Oh, the home pod is now this, and you can buy two for this." Right? Like that seems like a a way to maybe sell them a little bit more. And if and if they want to spur sales, that that they they could do that. They could also make an argument that bundling. You know, they could say this is great for stereo pairs, or it's great for two rooms, and you can spread the music around your house and just do some marketing that they couldn't do before to try and move these and move more of them. And you know, yeah. We'll see how confident they are in the in the product, but given the reports about how well it is not selling, maybe uh, doing some discounting uh, for for bundles would be a good idea. One of the things at WWDC when we were wandering around, there were just HomePods everywhere. You'd sort of turn around and there was a HomePod just sitting there playing some light jazz in the background or something. Sort of inexplicably, like, we're still here. <laughs> we, do, we exist. I... Uh, the, the the announcement of, of Siri shortcuts and the idea that it can be triggered from HomePod is making me want like a HomePod mini to put in my office. Like I have an Echo Dot in here. Mm. You know, like I want just a little thing that's that's purely for voice commands rather than music. And I, I wonder if Apple will make a product like that. Like I know I can have my iPhone do a lot of this stuff. But I don't. I st- I still don't know if I want to turn on a high telephone on my iPhone. I am still not sure about that. Um, and it might be nice to just have a little dedicated, just tiny little puck to do it. But we'll see. I, I think they're probably not going to do this. And and even if they if they do release a smaller, cheaper one, it will still be music focused, right? So it will still be a good speaker. But I'm keen to see what they do. I mean, all of Apple's competitors now have multiple form factors for their speakers and i wonder if they're gonna do the same i I still haven't made my mind up on that all right should we do upstream should get the triumphant return of upstream there's been a lot happening yeah there's a lot we've got it's sort of like that uh the delayed follow-up earlier that Mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff going on that we haven't that we should at least mention is happening in the digital media world um most notably i think because i don't think we mentioned on the show before is that um, for all of our talk about Disney buying Fox, Comcast is now bidding for Fox yep. too. So yet another major media company says that they want to make a bid. Um, apparently, they approached the Fox board during Fox's negotiations with Disney and made an offer or had a prospective offer, and Fox turned them down. They didn't think it was as good a fit for the company, um, but Comcast is sort of redoubling its effort, efforts. There's going to be a shareholder meeting in July, um, so the that that makes it sound like Comcast is going to make the argument that it may not be as good a fit, but we'll give you more money, shareholders. Just bottom line, we'll give you more money, and it sounds like that's been their game all along. Is that the Fox board would really prefer to sell to Disney? They think it's just a better fit overall for the Fox uh, 
company to go to the part the parts of it that are being sold to go to disney um it may mean that disney will ultimately need to sweeten its offer it may mean that comcast uh will be the uh, owner of fox and it may also be that the shareholders will take the board's advice and reject yep. the offer but um but the, some extra drama in what was sort of assumed to be a done deal. Mm-hmm. And I guess we'll get the final outcome in July. I, I love this one line that I keep seeing everywhere, which is how Comcast have described their offer. They said it is at least as favorable to Fox shareholders as the Disney offer. It's like the most non-committal thing. It's at least yeah. as favorable. <laughs> Don't it's, it's yourself between good and good plus. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> yeah. Um, this is some news that I know you're excited about, Jason. And Amazon has saved The Expanse. Yeah, The Expanse, we talked about that. That's the example of a show that had its rights sold in a weird way where it's uh, what they call SVOD, but it's streaming video on demand. It's streaming rights in the U.S. went to Amazon, so it would air on Sci-Fi Channel, and then it would air on Amazon streaming later, and then on Netflix and most of the rest of the world. And uh, Comcast, actually, Universal, that owns the Sci-Fi Channel, said that that was not, they couldn't pencil it out. They couldn't make that work, given the ratings on the linear TV, and that's all they got out of that show and so they canceled it and uh there were rumors out there that that amazon was interested and that that jeff bezos actually likes that show and it's one of his favorite shows uh that's good to have a billionaire on your side for something Mm -hmm. like that and not only did it get picked up but it got picked up the way the pickup was announced was there was a space conference and jeff bezos was on on stage talking about his space company blue origin and somebody asked about uh will you save the expanse and jeff bezos said uh, I believe the expanse is saved. At which point, people in the crowd stood up and began to cheer, which seemed weird until you saw who the people were. Mm-hmm. It was a setup. It was literally the cast of the expanse in the audience. <laughs> That's just so nice. Cheering the Jeff Bezos. That was a great little moment. I saw that too. Nice little stagecraft. So anyway, that, that show, which I like a lot, and is still airing its third season on Sci-Fi Channel, will be back on Amazon for uh, for a fourth season. Unclear. I haven't heard any details of it. Um, like, did they pick it up for one season? How many episodes? Um, when do they think that it's going to run? Is it going to run? I imagine they'll drop it in a in a big binge blob like uh, like these services do. Um, not a lot of details there, but it's you know they they stopped packing away the sets, so that's a good sign. I, I'm looking forward to the Blue Origin branding on all the spaceships. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's it's all that? about synergy. Vertical integration. integration. Mm-hmm. Uh, Netflix chief content officer Ted Sarandos says that the upcoming programming from the Obama family will apparently not have a political slant. This still mm-hmm. feels like to me, I'll wait until I see it. You know, like, yeah. I, I understand what maybe what they're trying to do here that like they're saying they're not making it the Obama network, right? Like, they're not going to just put on loads of political campaign ads or whatever, I guess. But um, I'm, I'm keen to see what it ends up looking like. But at least they're going to try to not make it too political, I guess. But I, I still think the proof will be in the pudding on that one. Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the real question is, do they want to lean into the sort of like public service that this story says, you know, scripted 
and unscripted material. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got a, I got a little bit of an Oprah kind of vibe almost, right? Where yeah. it was like, yeah, yeah. you know, we we're gonna do things that are that are promoting positivity in the world and and seeing you know inspirational stories and things like that. And that's fine, that's fine. I, I but but yeah, we'll, we'll see. What does this look like? And and we'll have to see about that. I, I get that from Netflix's perspective. On one level, they don't want to you know, be seen as just the Obama network. At the same time, Netflix is so huge and they program for so many different audiences that uh, quite honestly, if they did make something that was political, it's going to be, you know, it'll appeal to who it appeals to and, and nobody else. And that's, I think that may be fine for Netflix overall, but um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> that's the, that's the bottom line. I, I, what does a scripted program produced by the Obamas look like? I don't even know. Maybe nothing. Maybe it just looks like a show and that they're just in the TV business and they're entertainment moguls, but it seems like that's not what, you know, a, a post-presidential um, position should be so we'll see again i'm going to put in my plug i would love to see the equivalent of pe- presidential memoirs done as a documentary series i think that would be amazing i don't think they'll do it but i would love to see that and finally matt groaning 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 groaning's disenchantment debuts on august 17th on netflix it is uh, a two-season show 20 episodes in total it is uh, a cartoon as you can imagine it's a cartoon uh, series with adult oriented humor think bojack horseman but it is a fantasy series set in a medieval kingdom and there's been a bunch of images released um, as well as some details and it obviously is in the typical uh, graining style as well um, are you excited for this yeah, I, I I'm intrigued by it. Um, I liked uh the Simpsons. We actually just dropped the um Simpsons quote yes. draft episode mm-hmm. of the incomparable um this weekend, so people can listen to that, and find out what John Syracuse thinks are the best Simpsons lines of all time. Um, and I liked Futurama a lot, and so uh, and I think Matt Groening's cartoons are are great and have thought that since college so i'm intrigued by this idea i love the idea that he is a nerd who likes to take um well trod upon nerd genres and topics and spin them into something you know funny and different like futurama obviously is like all about science fiction tropes this is going to be all about kind of fantasy tropes and then twisting them and 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 um so i'm looking forward to it it looks looks like it could be very interesting we'll we'll see i mean you gotta you gotta see it to to uh to to see whether it's any good but i'm i'm intrigued and i gotta like his batting average right like he's he's his shows that he's been involved with have have been uh, very good so we'll see if this one is and it seems that this has got a lot of the futurama cast doing voice stuff also i noticed uh Matt Berry and Noel Fielding turning up in the cast list, which huh. is interesting. Yeah, interesting. Uh, uh, but yeah, I haven't seen uh, if it's got the Futurama writers associated with it. Um, th- there isn't really much information about that stuff. So, I, I, I'll re- Futurama is one of my favorite shows. So, if this is Futurama, but you know, in medieval world, I will be very interested. Yeah, Pastorama. No. Oh. <laughs> Jason, that no, was very not, good. Very good. It wasn't and, that good. Uh, it's ended the segment. 
This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. <laughs> hey, freelancers, it's important to make smart decisions for your business, to make things easier, and to help you save time as well. And this is what FreshBooks is all about. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. Let me tell you a story. This is something that happened to me today. I logged into FreshBooks, and I saw that in the little notification panel that they have that one one of that, that I had somebody who was late on paying me. So I went in and I took a look and I saw, oh, they never actually opened the invoice. It was just showing a sent. So with FreshBooks, I was able to send it back to them again. It landed in their inbox and it was paid straight away because for whatever reason, they just missed it. But this saved me from having to have a big spreadsheet, which I was checking all the time. Did this person see it? Did this person see it? And then opening up and like, hey, did you see that? Like, you don't want to have to do any of that. FreshBooks keeps it super simple. All of that information is shown to you very clearly. So you don't have to, to bug people. Right, you don't have to do any. You don't have to ask those weird, like, "Hey, did you see?" You don't have to do any of that. FreshBooks keeps it all simple. They can even automate late payment email reminders as well, so you spend even less time chasing payments and more time working on your magic, doing what you're good at. That's what you want to do. You don't want to be spending all of your time dealing with invoices. You want to just be able to do this stuff as quickly as possible so you can get back to doing whatever it is that you do, and that's what FreshBooks is all about. If you're listening to this and have still not used FreshBooks, give it a try. They're offering a 30-day free trial, which is unrestricted for listeners of this show with no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com upgrade and enter the code upgrade in the How Did You Hear About Us section. We thank FreshBooks for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. So, Jason, what betas are you currently running on your devices? Um, on my primary devices, I'm running nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, so I have a, um, I have an iPhone that is now running iOS 12, but it's it's an unused iPhone, and I've got a, uh, I've got my external SSD. <laughs> running as it does as it did last summer as it did the summer before mm-hmm. running um mojave so i am booting into or picking up a different device to look at the betas but i'm not i've not yet put them on my um production machines because uh, to reiterate my statements of earlier in this episode i have a family i have so much to live for <laughs> <laughs> now james you are traveling right now because typically yeah. you are to be found in glasgow but you are also a developer. Have you installed any betas on your devices? No, because I like Jason. Well, I don't have a family, but I I, I like my data. Mm-hmm. And while traveling, I was tempted this morning mm. um, to put it on my phone before mm. the show. And I was like, don't do that. You've got a few more days <laughs> in the US. It could all go horribly Good. wrong. And also... I was tempted to be installing it while we were recording, and that then I thought, no, the, the, the drama, the, the drama of when I look down and see my phone smoking quietly in the corner, <laughs> uh, I didn't think that was worth it. <laughs> Nobody will be seated during the iOS beta installation portion of what, the program. What I have heard is that this beta is actually very solid, so I think as soon as I get back, I will put it on my main phone. James, I feel like you're shaming me right now by saying beta. I feel like I'm being I feel like I'm being publicly shamed because I say beta. Mike's not British enough. No, well, I mean, you know, you've been Americanized. It's fine. I did. I did yesterday when I got home. Uh, Adina was cooking some food for me, and I asked her about tomatoes, and she says, "What's happened to you?" 
<laughs> wow. I mean, I'd like to say it's just because you've been out here for a week, but you were doing that before. No, huh? no it's nothing. To, it's the piss card that I talk to Jason for multiple hours every week. That's what it really is. That's it. Um, I have also felt the call of iOS 12, but have yet to install it on any of my devices. Um, I'm just seeing if I can hold off a little bit longer. But I have spent, as I'm sure we all have, a lot, quite a bit of time, especially last week, with people's devices who have installed iOS 12. Mm-hmm. So I have um, some some more thoughts, as I'm sure that you both do, about just some of the things that we didn't get to cover in, in a lot of detail last week because we hadn't yet seen them. Um, I wanted to talk about I want to talk about Memoji. I also want to talk about some of the changes to messages. And and it basically feels like Apple is furthering their attempts at making messages a social platform in a way. Because they've done a bunch of very interesting things with the camera. So the camera now in messages, you can display your Memoji head on your own head. You can add filters. And you can also play around interestingly with stickers so you can put messages stickers into pictures that you take but i found quite randomly that right now it seems like only some stickers are popping up and you can actually attach stickers to your face and move your face around and the stickers stay attached to your face it's very interesting so federico had an amazing idea which i will give him the credit for um I'm looking at doing a sticker pack. Mm-hmm. It may involve pandas. Mm-hmm. But he said, why not make a sticker which was like a panda mask? Oh, God. That, that you could put horrifying. over your face. Yeah. No, no, it sounds cute, Mike. <laughs> it's no, not horrifying no, at no, all. No. When you see a cartoon panda mask with real human eyes, that is a horror show. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing how it looks, though. <laughs> but yeah, with, with the, the eyes cut out, and then your eyes through it. I think that oh would be delightful. Uh, and maybe your your mouth inside it. Oh, mouth. God. Right, so, again, <laughs> as with most of your wild ideas, I, I thoroughly recommend that you do it, but I believe it will be some kind of horror. Uh, but, uh, but give I, it a I, go. I, I, I wish to say this was Federico's idea, not mine. Okay. So, uh, he, he is the horror master. Wow, it sounded like you were giving him credit, and it turns out you were just giving him I, I was throwing him under the bus, yes. <laughs> yep. Um. I am very excited to play around with this stuff the most. Honestly, the thing that makes me want to install iOS 12 is Memoji. It's why I haven't installed it on my iPad yet, because I figure I don't want to put... I don't really want to put multiple devices in the beta right now, but it's making me... And and the reason I haven't put it on any iPad is because I want to put it on my iPhone so I can play with Memoji more. And I have... Played around with a bunch. I've created. I have. I have kind of left a litter of my own face on people's devices. I've kind of uh-huh. just been picking up people's devices, making my own face, and giving it back to them. Um, I am really, really impressed by just how good the animations are, and I think a lot of that has come from the eye tracking and stuff that they're doing as well. It really adds a lot of life. You know, they spent a lot of time showing tongues, right? Tongue detection which mm-hmm. works and is also very hilarious. Um, but obviously a lot of the eye-tracking stuff that they've been doing um, yeah. with, with ARKit 2 also makes a, an appearance in Memoji and, and really helps add to the overall character of what you're making. I know Apple wouldn't do this, but I was looking at that and I was thinking, in-app purchase hats. I, I, they re- <laughs> I mean, 
I think, yes, they should do this. I don't think they're going to charge for it, but I really think that frequent releases of different clothing items and would be a good thing. Or even just seasonal things, right? You know, like Santa hats over the holidays, bunny ears over Easter. You know, like little things that they could do, like a jack-o'-lantern to put on your head during the, the during Halloween. Like those things I think would be a lot of fun. And I would really like to see them. Honestly, I would like to see them do some branded stuff, but I don't see that happening for the foreseeable future. The other thing I was thinking, which... I really think they won't do is allow third parties yeah. to provide items because you could see oh you know you down download some app and you get a little hat you know branded with that or a t-shirt mm-hmm. or you get some you know some kind of not t-shirts but you get some kind of props just think of what could happen to the podcast merch industry yep it, oh, it goes virtual Mm-hmm. The uh, D- Dan Warren had a, uh, a a memoji that he created that was um, him wearing his trademark uh, Boston Rex- Red Sox hat, except it was just a blue hat, mm-hmm. a blue baseball cap. And I had that immediate thought of, well, clearly <laughs> the next step is for Apple to make a deal with sports franchises and things like that. Um, so that you can wear the the hat of your baseball team or whatever. Yeah, Bit Bitmoji has this already. Like they do deals right. with like um, different sports leagues and stuff to get branded branded clothing in in there. And Microsoft did it on the Xbox Live stuff as well. Yep. You know, typically if you completed a game, you might unlock some uh, stuff related to it. Yeah, I I would I would be very keen. I'm very keen to see what they end how they end up doing this, but. Um, or if they end up doing anything, but I am I am super impressed with the animation of of Mimoji. Again, oh, yeah. like I have no idea how in the long run I will use this, but the fact that they are creating something which is me, right? Like I can create me, and it can be used in more places now, like in FaceTime as well. I feel like this might get a little bit more use out of Animoji for me on a long term basis. Um, That's the key to mm-hmm. me is the fact that because we we could talk about Animoji and it's like, oh, they're excited about Mimoji. That's great. They were excited about Animoji last year. How long did that last? Not very long. Um, the difference is that Apple is, in addition to doing Memoji, Apple is trying to spread Animoji and Memoji into other places. And that is why it will end up being more used than it, when it was just in uh, messages recording those little things. They're, they're trying to put it in taking pictures and sharing photos and stuff like that and in FaceTime. And, you know, it can't extend everywhere, obviously, but the fact that they're making an effort to put it in other places. Uh, and I feel like with a Memoji, you know, you're basically kind of creating an avatar for yourself. So it could show up in your, you know, in your Apple ID and your game center and all sorts of other places too down the road. And I think that's why it will be more persistent than just, you know, stock and emoji in messages was. Or yeah. give us access to it in scene kit and AR kit and oh, things boy. like that. So you know. I can throw bananas at James's um, weird panda mask. <laughs> oh, that. Great. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I've only played around a little bit with the, some of the improvements to notifications, but overall, this seems like 
really a lot of the stuff that I was looking for. You know, not just grouping by app, which I'm so pleased they brought back again, but grouping uh, categories looks really good. And then all of those instant toggles that you have to turn off notifications for certain apps and, and to make quick changes to them. And they've really simplified the changes, you know, like deliver quietly. You know, that is a really nice way of summing up a bunch of different toggles being turned off. Um, I, I am really, really enthused about some of these notifications improvements and i think it's going to make the way that i deal with my own devices a lot nicer going forward i think the key is that after you use ios 12 for a little while you're going to have um gradually gotten push notifications and dismissed them you know and and said i never want to see this again and i think that that means that over time as you use it you're gonna your experience will improve but also think about it this way. For all the times that somebody on the internet, John Gruber does this a lot, but other people do too, has pointed out annoying push notifications that apps do. One of the cool things about this feature is that not only can I unsubscribe from a, an annoying push notification, something I don't want to see, or just send it to Notification Center, it actually provides a disincentive for apps to send too many notifications yep. and notifications that are of the wrong kind that are too self-serving and that are useless because if you under iOS 12 if you annoy somebody with a dumb push notification they're going to just turn it off right then and there and never see your push notifications again and that's great because yeah. that is not just the user having the power to block you it's the fear of angering the user put in the developer and I know I have a developer near me but like I want the developers to have this calculation of do I really want bother them with this and right now they don't they don't seem to worry because it's so hard to figure out how to turn off a push notification yeah i am really excited about that too like there is a, a real big potential here for those push notifications to really start to go away those like point what almost feel like pointless marketing messages you know like from games yeah. and stuff we're like hey I'm, I'm looking at you super mario run like I'm looking at you. Yeah. Oh, we got an event. Blah, blah, blah. It's like I really. Just That's right. Don't. It's Banana Week, everybody. Woo! <laughs> yeah, I just don't. I just don't want that. And also, I I saw that there is a way which I think is really cool that from a notification you can press a button to go into the app as well to change right. the app's specific notifications, not just going into settings. So I think that's really cool too. Um, Jason, have you taken a look at Screen Time at all? I haven't. I haven't had a chance. I mean, I, I honestly, I installed an um, iOS 12 on an iPhone 10 specifically to make some memojis, mm -hmm. and I haven't looked at screen time. Actually, I did look at it briefly, and what it said was, you have spent a lot of time in messages, <laughs> because yeah. that's all I yep. was doing on that. So it really, that's going to be when I either install it on my main iPhone or whether I... Uh, wait until the public beta and do it then. That's really what's going to tell the tale. Right now, it's not providing a representative sample because I'm literally just using that phone for trying out features in iOS 10, uh, 12. Yeah, I mean, I think when I put it on, uh, it's going to be the equivalent of stepping on the scales because you're going to yes. look at the results mm. and it's going to say, and you're going to go, oh no. Because <laughs> <laughs> something that I didn't recall or didn't see uh, when we were talking last week it's not just how much time you're spending in an application it also tells you how many notifications you receive from specific right. applications as well and we had somebody was it serenity said that she got like 70 notifications and from messages one day yeah oh i think it was i think it was a three more than that. Number, honestly <laughs> um and 
that's the kind of stuff where I'm going to be really keen to see, right? Like we, when you take the screen time reports and you measure and you like you look at how you're dealing with notifications and you can make some some things that there as well, right? Like if you look at it and you're like, wow, I get 400 Twitter notifications a day. Maybe I should turn off Twitter notifications, right? Like I, I think this sort of stuff's going to be really good, and I'm keen to see what or if any recommendations are made to the user by Apple based upon this information. Mm. Um, that I think that's going to be really cool to see as well. Also, there was one little detail that I really like um, about app limits, and this is the, the ability to say, oh, I only want to spend an hour a day in Twitter or whatever. If an app uses universal linking, which is that thing where you tap a, a Twitter link and it opens in a Twitter app, right? Um, and then it gives you that little button in the top right where you can go back to the website again. If an app uses this and you put a limit on the iOS app, it also blocks that app's website in Safari if you set an app limit. So if you said, I only want to spend an hour a day in Twitter, and then you go and then you hit that limit and you go to twitter.com, it shows you the same thing where it's like, hey, you set a limit for this. And I think that is really cool. And all the developers that set up universal linking are cussing themselves <laughs> right now. So I, I just thought that that was a really nice, like well thought out um, implementation of this. And they're using an existing technology to help further make this a more useful thing. So I thought that was really cool. And there were a couple of other little details that I saw. I picked a few up uh, from Dan's great post on Six Colors as well. Um, it's easier to quit apps now. You don't need to do that press and hold. You can just swipe them up and they go away, which I think is great. I mean, is that good or is that just sort of giving in to the people who think that they have to quit their apps? Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I quit apps because things go wrong. Uh, things break, no, I right? Qu I quit apps too. I just wonder what the rationale was for changing that back. I... I really prefer it this way because I got so frustrated in having to do that. Like, oh, well, no, I would, I would still try it. I try to flip those apps up yeah, and go, why won't you die? <laughs> and then <laughs> it's like, oh, I, right. I got a hold. And then it, it, I think somebody just said, this is too much friction. Um, people are going to, the, the problem is people will quit their apps accidentally, more likely this mm -hmm. way. And you'd think, oh, well, but you've got to swipe up. This happens to me on the iPad all the time when I swipe into the multitask view and I tap an app to bring it forward and my finger skids on the surface of my iPad just a little and the app goes whoop and it's gone. And I think, no, 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 I wasn't trying to quit you. So I get it. Like you need to look for a bigger swipe gesture on the iPad. I wonder if they've done that too. But um, I, I would prefer to not have to wait and hold my finger until we enter quit mode to do it because sometimes you you got to quit apps. Yeah, the swipe gestures on the iPad are not are not nice right now. They they, they changed away the way a lot of it works and now a quick swipe takes you home. To get to the dock you have to kind of do a longer swipe and hold somewhere in the middle. To get to multitasking you have to do a big swipe and hold like on the iPhone. It's That's very Weird. not good right now. And I'm hoping that this animation will get maybe refined or reordered, like the, the way that you do this a little bit, because they've kind of got it a little bit broken, I think. I think the quick swipe should still be bringing up the dock, but they're try kind of trying to unify it with the iPhone, but they've gone too far, in my opinion, um, mm. because the, the, the iPad's action should be quick to get to the dock, not to get to home. That's I don't think that's what people are doing. 
Yeah, but what about the home buttonless iPad Pro that's coming out this, this fall? They should swap them around. So, like a mid swipe up should take you home, in my in my opinion. So, mm. like you can right. quick swipe to get to the dock. Swipe to the middle of the screen takes you home. Swipe and hold will get you to multitasking or whatever it's going to be. Um, I I think that making the dock a little bit harder to get to, I don't think is the right way to do it because I feel like post iOS 11 for most, most uh, iPad users, I think the dock has become more important than the home screen, at least Mm. for iPad pro users, I guess. Would you agree? Like, do you find yourself going to the dock more than home? No, no, I actually, I I don't Mm. use, I I only use the dock uh, essentially to kick off multitasking. I know it's there and I can open apps and yet I don't, I find myself swiping up. Um, maybe maybe they instead. know something that's different to the way I that me and Federico thinks it works, right? Like me and Federico use it that way, and so we were, we were bemoaning it. But maybe most iPad users are still going home. Well, they're trying to get people to use it that way, and maybe they should stick with that. Or maybe they've realized, you know what? We've trained people to use the home screen, yeah. and they're not going to change. And that that's I mean, why do I do it that way? It's because that's how I've always used my iPad, and I can still use it that way, so I haven't had to learn a new way. And even though there is a new way, which is to swipe up and launch an app from the dock, I find myself doing that all the time. I've got apps that I are the most commonly used apps. They're in my dock, and yet I press the button and then tap on them in the dock. I don't swipe up the dock and then tap on them. I just us, don't. Us old people don't like to learn new things. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's right. what we're saying here. And I will learn new things if that there's a new way of doing it. But what Apple did was add a, a new possibility to the existing old way, at which point it's like, well, I don't I don't need to do that. So I don't I have not well, embraced the dock. You you've ruined it for way. everyone, Jason. They were looking at you. Well, I would I would encourage developer uh, beta people to file a radar and yeah. for uh, be- public beta people when the public betas come out later this month to um, to use the feedback thing because this seems like the kind of thing that they might actually tune over the yeah. summer. I-, I believe if they will. The behavior is weird, and this is I I seldom file radars because just because, but I do when it, something really irks me and this is one that i will be when i install the beta on my ipad i will file a write-off of this one because i think i I understand what they're trying to do but i think they just need to swap one of the gestures around and and i think it would be an overall better experience but but yeah earlier filing bugs the better you know if you get the bug reports in now there's rather than Mm -hmm. doing it like a week before it ships at which point there is literally no chance of anything changing do it now yeah, I, I, I'm I'm wondering, how quick does Beta 2 come out? Is it like a week or two weeks? It depends. If this is a solid build, which it sounds like, it won't be as pressed to get something out quickly. Yeah. Um, and it also depends how long this build has been sitting there, because sometimes right. they sit for a while, oh. they know they've got something solid, mm-hmm. they don't want to change it. So this build could be, you know, like two weeks old or something at this point, and they just... You know, we've got something that works. We'll put that out. We'll not put out our absolute latest code. Also, they are going to do a public beta probably by the end of the month. And they want that to be... Generally, what they do is they release a developer version. And then that becomes the public beta after some period of time where they're sure that from the developer release, it hasn't destroyed people's devices. And... So my question is, will this be the public beta? Probably not. It's possible, though, given how the re- the reviews are really good uh, in terms of stability, because otherwise they're probably going to do another release and then see how that is. And if that's got problems, they'll have to do another release. And then the public beta release will come from that. And that may be too long because I think they want to get to public beta by the end of June. Yeah. And this, th- 
this has got all the the memoji and stuff in it, which is really going to make people install a public yeah. beta who might not normally install betas. So yeah, I want to get it right. I bet this is going to be a a a thoroughly installed beta, right? Like almost to mm-hmm. the level of oh, there's new emoji, right? Like it, it it kind of feels like that. So yeah, I I bet you're right. I bet this gets pretty heavily installed because this is one of those things that your friend sends you one and you're like wait what and then you go and install the beta right like so yeah i think you're right they they probably want to make sure that this one is a solid uh, solid as a rock um mac os J- jason can you remind me mojave 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 um <laughs> Dark mode. Uh, I played around with dark mode a little bit on uh, Stephen Hackett had a had a Mojave installed on a on a drive, <laughs> and uh, I tried it out and I like it more than I than I thought I would. It, when they were showing up in the demo, it just it didn't work for me. But I like it more uh, in person, and I wonder what you thought about dark mode. Uh I I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'm glad that Apple finally has my has offered it. My complaint about the dark menu bar was that it felt like they wanted to do a dark mode and they they just couldn't. And so they said, "Well, you can make a dark menu bar." And I thought that was dumb. Um so now that there's a proper dark mode, I'll try it out. I actually I like the idea of having uh my system kick into dark mode at night when my room is presumably darker yeah. and 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 I and the bright white windows on my screen are um, are more prevalent. But also, there's a question of how you you want apps to support this, right? Like right now, I have a bunch of white background, black text windows up on my display, and if I go into dark mode and none of them adapt, that's dumb. And that's one of the things is that developers will need to build with the latest SDK to get dark mode is not going to automatically apply to old apps, presumably because developers are going to find, oh, wait a minute, I this text, I forgot to use a system color, so you're going to get black text on a black background or something. Spam. How much blacker could it be? None more. Yeah, like we were playing around with iTunes and there were uh, some Apple Music promos that you couldn't read the text of, which was hilarious because uh, they were just basically images in iTunes and all the text was black. On and the background was black, <laughs> and then with Safari they made a really interesting decision to, um, the like, you know they they need to honor the the CSS of a mm-hmm. web page. Although I wonder, I haven't looked. I wonder if they're going to propose a CSS extension, Safari extension that actually says use these styles in dark mode. Um, so that websites could potentially support dark mode? I wonder. I'm going to have to ask about that. But uh, what they did do is Safari Reader will kick into its dark theme if you're in dark mode. So uh, you load a page that's white, like six colors, is white white background, mm-hmm. black text, right? You load it in dark mode, it's like, that's super bright. But if you hit the Safari Reader button, it will go into uh, dark reader mode. But I would love it if I had the ability to say... If you're running on a on a Mac with dark mode on, use the style instead and and make a dark mode version of my website. Um, and similarly, like if I'm in Google Docs, which I am right now, I would really like it if in dark mode Google Docs actually was white text on a black background or something like that instead of what it is now. And you know, again, that would be something that Apple would need to uh, 
provide support for and work with web developers on and it's going to be sporadic so i'm enthusiastic about it but i'm also realistic that there's going to be a lot of stuff that doesn't really honor it for a while if ever and um you know that's just how it is but all those really old apps they're going to kill anyway so that's true in the end it won't matter if you if you if you're an old app you you won't you yeah, won't uh, there, there be around are much longer a couple of things on the horizon right which could kill old apps including that notarizing thing yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's there's uh, the 32-bit apps will go away next year. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea of notarizing apps, which is a different concept with than the old one, which was you sign your app. If you're not in the Mac App Store and you want to be uh, launchable in the default state of the security settings in Mac OS, you are a registered Apple developer and you sign your app release with your developer key. And what that means is... Um, Apple, you know, you are somebody Apple knows and the system therefore will let you launch your app, even though it's outside of the Mac app store. And, um, that's good because it also means that if somebody releases malware, they can just kill that developer key and push that out to everybody. And, um, then Macs won't launch the malware anymore. They'll refuse. Cause this is similar to some of the stuff with Gatekeeper, right? They've had for a while. Yeah, this is, I mean, it is Gatekeeper. It's Mm -hmm. just Gatekeeper is sort of changing and this is a transitional stage right. for Gatekeeper? I think one of the things they talked about was when you upload your app, they're going to scan it for malware and yep. give it the sort of basic uh, checks, but it's not going to... I think it's going to be entirely automated. Yeah, that's it's, what that's what they said. It's So this is the difference, is they're, they're going to transition away from the signed apps thing. That's going to go away, I think, next year. Uh, maybe they didn't say, but it's going to go away. It's going to go away eventually. And what's going to replace it is this notarized apps thing, which is per app, per app version. So instead of <laughs> signing your app, not realizing it's got malware in it, and then Apple kills your developer account and all of your apps everywhere stop working, which is really bad. Now, the Apple will be able to kill a specific app, a specific app version and the way it works is you have to build your app as a developer for Mac, again for outside the Mac App Store, upload it to Apple's notary service, and they will um, they will scan it in an automated fashion and then kick it back with basically a little ticket that is this is this has been scanned by Apple, and by default Gatekeeper will not let you launch apps instead of them being like signed they will be notarized and 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 it will want a notarized app or it will say I can't launch this right. now. What they haven't said is they said that they'd like that process to be about an hour, which is I, I was sitting next to a developer who was like, oh, my God, like, like, I don't want to wait an hour if I'm just trying to push out a bug fix. But um, and that they were targeting an hour and it's supposed to be automated, but it's still going to take an hour, which is that's a lot of that's a lot of scanning going on there or something. Uh, uh, trust me, sometimes when you upload stuff and it's just processing through the app store, depending on what happens, you know, you can have a half hour there. Yeah, so there's there's the the mysteries of Apple's infrastructure remain. Um, there are a lot of open questions about um, what what Apple didn't say is what the long term plan is for um, for Gatekeeper. I'm going to assume that in the long run, Gatekeeper will still allow you to change your setting to run anything, but. Apple could at any point say, you know what, unless it's been signed or notarized or whatever, we're just not going to let it run. And that would be Apple kind of clamping down on third-party software uh, to a greater degree. Also, and again, I'm just trying to explore the, the, the limits of this thing. 
you know, they could scan for things with that notary, notary service that would be a de facto rejection. Like apps that do this will not be allowed on the Mac. And if they did that combined with changing Gatekeeper, this is a worst case scenario. They basically set a you know approval process for all apps on the Mac, even if they're not in the Mac App Store. Um, my also my understanding is at least in this initial run of the notary service that you've got to be you've got to opt into their new security runtime and i think that means that that you have to like use their entitlements which means it's basically limited like a mac app store app and if that's their intent that also means that um apps even though the mac app store is opening up what it's what it's allowing apps to do compared to the past it does also mean that if you want to take advantage of this sort of default security on the Mac, you've got to follow more of the Mac App Store mm. rules. So there's a lot going on here that is going to make Mac apps more secure and Macs more secure. But there is a question of just how heavy-handed versus light-touch Apple's going to be with apps that are outside the Mac App Store. One of the things I read implied that existing apps will still get the, you know, if you want to access the camera and things like that. So, you know, the, the, these things are going to affect people anyway, I think, um, from reading some of the documentation this morning. But the other thing that just occurred to me there was, assuming Apple stores a copy of the app, if they discover some new malware a week after you've been notarized, they could go back and say, wait a minute, we've just discovered this, you know, rerun the scan... And then they kill and that. And then that version is then killed. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's all good, but it also it becomes this question of like, what is the future of Mac apps mm -hmm. outside the Mac App Store? And we'll just have to see. I, you know, I think nobody's asked Apple these questions. Um, they haven't talked about a lot of the details of this. It, it has, you will see, I'll guarantee it, you will see stories about how this is the end of free software on the Mac, that everything's going to be controlled by Apple. That is certainly an extreme interpretation of where it could go. I'm not convinced that's where it's going to go, but it could go there. So there, and and you'll also see stories that will say it's great, it's not a problem, it's just Apple improving the security of the platform. And I would say that's your kind of best case scenario. So somewhere in there, we'll have to see because it's going to be up to Apple. You know, its policies, how it's implemented, all of those things. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'd like to believe that at some level, Apple will allow people to do stuff that makes their, they're just going to make it harder. They're going to say, yes, you can still disable system integrity protection like you can now. And at that point, Apple's basically saying, we will not protect you from anything bad that happens. And some people, honestly, as long as some people are, are pe people will do that if they're allowed to. And it, if all Apple wants to do is reduce the number of people who are doing that and keeping more people safe that's probably okay but it's all going to be in the details and we don't know the details yet but it is it is really interesting i wrote a little thing on six colors about this that you know definitely apple is trying to the big picture is apple's trying to make it easier for apps to fit in the mac app store which is why we saw transmit from panic and bb edit coming back to the mac app store they're making changes this year and my understanding is kind of ongoing changes to add more um add more entitlements, which basically let an app say, hey, I want to read the whole hard drive. Can I do that? And that used to be forbidden in the Mac App Store. And now um, it will be allowed, basically, if you ask. And that allows Apple to say, should this app have that? Oh, this is 
transmit. It makes sense for app, it to read outside the sandbox. We'll allow it. Um, and previously that wasn't allowed. So they're, they're expanding that part, but it also seems like they're adding more restrictions on the stuff that's outside the Mac App Store, which is interesting, uh, like an interesting combination there. But you could argue they want to make the Mac App Store more appealing, but they want to make the Mac, Mac as a whole platform more secure while understanding that not everything can be in the Mac App Store. I'm, I'm starting to get twitchy whenever I download an app it's not signed, and I have to do the little, you know, control click mm-hmm. on it to open it. And it's like, are you sure you want to open this? And I go, I'm, I, no. I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure. I don't <laughs> know what's in this. Well, because there's been a bunch of high-profile malware things over the last right. year, right? And I guess that's why they're doing this. Like, that, that BitTorrent client was one of them. Well, didn't Panic get hit by one as well? Panic, I think, opened some app, and then uh, somebody got into their GitHub. Uh, sources or something like right. that. Right. So the result of one of those apps. But yeah, it, it, it seemed like this has been happening a lot more anyway. And the cryptographic signature stuff, it's not just it's not just we want an unsigned app uh, to, to be dangerous, but it's also like if you sign an app, what it means is that that app can't be modified later to have malware inserted because then the signature fails. And they're also changing stuff now that if some library your app loads uh, is unsigned, then you won't run and things like that. Right, right. Like the, the the little pieces, the plugins and other things, if they aren't from you or Apple, they say, well, wait a second, where did that come from? And apparently there's a way for you to say, oh, no, 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 the, it's from this developer and they're a friend. But that requires like that developer to sign it and for you to uh. affirm it. And they're, they're adding a whole bunch of stuff like this. So, I mean, this is a story that could be about Apple exerting a lot of control over the Mac um, in ways that will make it unpleasant for third-party developers. But it, the other way to portray it is, I think, also valid, which is Apple's trying to find ways to, how do we bring, if you're Apple, how do we bring security models that we understand that we've learned from the being on the inside of the app store, how would we apply those to an an open market? Um, And on the, on iOS, they don't have an open market, but on the Mac they do. And so they're trying to do that. And it's an interesting idea. And I think the, um, the BitTorrent client transmission as distinct from transmit. um, That one got bit uh, multiple times where it was, things were being inserted. But, But I believe that was signed. So, you know, it's, is not just, you know, oh, this was signed by the developer, so it must be okay. It's like, well, maybe not if, you know, if somebody got into their machine. Yeah, they got their key, and then yeah. they signed the the malware version. I think they inserted it when it was being built, right? Yeah, and, and there idea. was also, the, there was the Xcode a while back. The, there was a, a, a malware version of Xcode that inserted malware into oh, the Oh, right, things. yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was on Chinese servers because there was somebody because you why would you download Xcode from anywhere but Apple? But the answer was it was hard to download in China, I think, from Apple, uh, and it was slow. And so they t- somebody had like a local version of Xcode that you could download to save yourself time, and 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 it was it was a faster download, and it was a it was a hacked version of Xcode with malware insertion in it. Oh, what a world! So there's more than enough good reason for Apple to do this, but of course sure. the ramifications are wide-reaching. But yeah, you know, as long as an app is in even somewhat active development, this in theory shouldn't be too hard unless you're doing something that would be tricky. So depends on how how strict they want to be. 
Yeah, if they want to be really strict, then it could be a thing. I think it's the most interesting to me is that rather than make Mac App Store policy changes, they seem to have made sandboxing changes. They meet right they, instead of just saying, you know what, if you want to do stuff that's outside the sandbox, fine. <laughs> they didn't do that. They built new uh, security measures that let apps ask for more power mm-hmm. and. Um, I, and I think they're going to continue doing that. And that is a policy change of a sort, but it's a high, like high level. It's somebody like Phil Schiller saying, how do we make me- these Mac apps that are for power users more powerful and get them in the Mac app store? And somebody in the security team saying, well, we would need to build in these new intents, these new requests for um, the ability to get outside. And then we would need to look at those and we need to build a security system around that. And it seems like that's what they've been doing. And and the first parts of that will roll out in Mojave. Uh, after this break, we should ask James about some of the stuff that he is yeah. excited about as a developer. But first, um, let me thank Casper for their support of this show. Casper are the company focused on sleep, dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. You spend a lot of your life sleeping, actually a third. So if you spend a third of your life doing that, don't you want it to be the best it could possibly be? That's why you want a Casper mattress. Their mattresses are perfectly designed for humans of engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry. It's got all the right support in all the right places. How does it do this? How are Casper mattresses so comfortable? Well, it's because they combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce. Their mattresses are designed and developed in the U.S., and their breathable design helps to regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And with over 20,000 reviews and an average rating of 4.8 stars, Casper is very quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. Casper has a 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial, so you can be sure of your purchase. They will deliver directly to your door, and if for any reason you don't love it, Casper has a hassle-free return policy. Now, Jason, I know that you spent a few days in a hotel bed last week. When you return home, do you, do you run to the bedroom and hug your Casper immediately? Well, first of all, it's very large. It's a queen-size mattress, so that would hugging it would be... You could just hug the corner. I did. Uh, I did enjoy sitting down on it and thinking, "Oh yes, this is the. I'm home again." In fact, I drove. I didn't even stay every um, every night down there. I, I came back on Wednesday night so I could sleep in at home, which is it's nice to be home and all that. And part of that is yes, the Casper mattress, my family, the pets, and the Casper mattress, probably in that order. You can get $50 towards select mattress purchases by going to casper.com slash upgrade and using upgrade at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That is casper.com slash upgrade and the code upgrade for $50 towards select mattress purchases. Thank you so much to Casper for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, Mr. James Thompson, you are a, you are a developer. Um, I would say you do develop for the Mac, but primarily iOS, I would say, is probably... Would I be right in saying that these days, that, that PCALC? I think that's fair to say where most of my money comes from, so that mm-hmm. is equally where a lot of my focus goes. So I want to talk about a, a, a few things. That, and we're gonna, I think I'll split this in half between iOS and the Mac, because, they're, funnily enough, they're becoming the same thing, eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Siri shortcuts. Um, you are well known for implementing just about any new thing that Apple uh, will debut. Where do you see Siri shortcuts as t- to making a difference in PCALC? So I've been looking at doing, uh, looking at thinking about doing workflow stuff for a long time. And it was always just there on the to-do list. It was like, I'd really like to get to that. I'd really like to get to that. And now we have shortcuts, which is part of the system and seems to be 
the way that Apple is going to expose a lot of Siri functionality to developers and things like this. It's like this has gone from, you know, on page two of the list of things that I would look at to line one of what I want to look at. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, and I think that's going to be absolutely the case for lots of developers. It's like, oh, here is the new big Apple thing that we need to look at over the summer. Yep. And I don't know yet what that's going to be. I mean, the the example that somebody gave to me, as I am known somewhat for the about screen of Peacock, was Ahoy Telephone, it's banana time. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I don't know yet where the things would be because it, it seems to be the API is mainly for, like, repeating something that you've done before in the past. Uh, so, you know... The kind of things that you would use the um, 3D touch shortcuts on an icon, like, you know, you can go somewhere, but there's not really a way of inputting information. So you can't say, you know, you know, what is six times seven or something like that. You can't pass in arbitrary inputs. You can only say, here is a pre-recorded phrase, and I'm going to associate that with something in the app. Um, and that might be, you know, for something, it might be, you know, let's play this particular uh, playlist or let's repeat this order we did before. But there isn't yet the sort of what you would want to pass parameters into that. Um, so it, there is a certain amount of limitation to it, I think, although it does look like that this is going to be the way forward, that Apple is going to do this stuff. I wonder if the conception of the way these things can be implemented will change once people get a hold of the shortcuts app because if the shortcuts app is anything like workflow the ability to pass things in and out uh, is key and yeah from yeah. everything that we've seen so far it seems like that shortcuts basically is workflow so you know I, I understand what the apis look like right now but i wonder if there is it will be different once you can actually change some pcalc actions through the shortcuts app i'm assuming that um Shortcuts is going to support the old sort of workflow URL callback stuff as well. Um, but none of that makes it into the Apple documentation on this stuff. Um, it, I think that's just a legacy thing. Um, so, you know, the, the APIs are very specific in, you know, here are the things that you can do. And here's, here's how you associate uh, a shortcut, you know, like a, a Siri phrase to, to, to trigger this. Um, I think you're right. I think it will open up. The question I would say is whether it opens up before this ships. Uh, I think it won't. I think it will stay. We'll get what we've got. And then next year, we'll get more. Uh, but I'm looking, I, I want to really dig into it and see what's possible and figure out. Um, I mean, like there was one thing. So, you know, you get the little response sheets that you can do in line um, mm -hmm. when you're talking to Siri. Bring one of those up. And I was like, oh, I wonder if they could be interactive. And I was thinking, you know, oh, uh, bring up a, an inline little something, uh, you know, throw a, a tip, tip calculator or something in there. And it's like, no, these things are non-interactive. You can have a few buttons at the bottom, but it's very much designed for this is displaying information. It's not for even, you know, having like a, a checkbox that you could check on it before you say go ahead or whatever so they it's tried to that. prevent you from causing them a bunch of problems uh around yes. september again didn't they? they they thought about that very specifically 
Yes, I think I'm uh, number one on the list. Definitely stop James putting a calculator in this. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think for PCALC specifically, I'm not sure where the hooks are going to go. Yeah. Like what what's going to be the best thing to do? It may be for you, it is very simple actions, right? Like open or, you know, like open PCALC, right? Or something like that, you know, like because th- there are, uh, so for example, I'll give you some things that I've been thinking about, like, having different work modes that I get into, you know, and one of them might result in a few actions being performed and then PCALC being opened, right? Like, because, right, I'm in this mode now, so I need my calculator. But there there are things that other apps might do, which would be a little bit, you know, so for example, like they show um, as part of a result of an action, start playing some audio, Right. You could do something like grab the current result out of PCALC, take that, put that in a Google spreadsheet somewhere, go. or vice right. versa, that sort of thing. And that's very, I think that's, that is very useful. And that's where, you know, like stuff like that, like grabbing a result, that's probably going to make the most sense when the Four Shortcuts app is there, right? So you can see how yeah. you could chain a bunch of stuff together. I see what you mean, though, like for. For the uses that might be best for PCALC specifically, like performing calculations. Um, it that may not be something that is around in its first iteration. Yeah, but I mean, it looks very, very promising, mm-hmm. and the fact I think that it's the f- you know first party citizen of the OS now is going to make, I would assume, make every developer look at this over the summer, and I think that's it's just like raising workflows profile to yeah. you know like. If you implement this, Apple might feature you on the store, so you should really probably do that. Yeah, if you want that iOS launch feature, you should probably be implementing shortcuts because they're going to have a whole section of apps with shortcuts. You know, like that's probably going to be the big thing this year, Um, like they did ARKit last year, hence why you created an AR mode in your calculator. So with ARKit 2.0, what is exciting to you? Ah, that's, I mean, like, I I um, I write a calculator. I should write a calculator. But there is this part of me that looks at all that stuff and I was like, I could write a game, a real game. I could spend the summer writing a game. And then it's like, no, no, I shouldn't do this. But the, the, the multiplayer stuff, I mean, it was like there was at least sort of five players involved. Like, so they had this AR game that you could play at the conference, which was the the one that they showed in the keynote, where you, you're just, you know, firing blocks at people and trying to knock over their their little catapults. And uh, But it was, they had, like, you could play four-player around the table, and then there was a fifth person who was, like, an Apple employee who was acting as a, a camera operator who was, like, displaying another view onto the big screen behind you. And it's like, so, you know, you could... I don't know what the limits are, but presumably you could have lots of players. Um, they also, the source code to that whole thing, they're open sourcing it and making it available to developers to do whatever they like with. And there's going to be a ton of stuff in that that is interesting on how to sort of synchronize the state between all the different uh, devices that are taking part in that. And that's something I'd love to play with. Uh, you know, I... I I, I do want to do the, the PCALC Battle Royale mode. Oh, my God. No. You know. <laughs> More of a Banana Royale, I think. Oh. Yeah. 
boy. A banana royale with cheese. Yes. Mm. No, no, that sounds that sounds horrible. Disgusting. And there's stuff in that. There's also the they'll do the thing where you can pre-scan a 3D object and then your app can recognize that like it does today with you can do an AR kit with images. So you can have like a poster on the wall, that kind of stuff. But you could have a 3D object. Let's say it was a banana that you scan in. And then when the thing sees that 3D object, it can attach, you know, sort of content around that. Like like they did with the, the, the Lego uh, building. Um, it. I mean, the, the, there was lots of things, and there was also the share. This idea of sharing the sort of the the scans that have been done of a three D space. So mm-hmm. when somebody else goes there, it can recognize it, uh, and you can, you know, you would. It's not as instant as you know. You can leave something on a table, and then somebody else will find it. You know, you'd have to actually do this within your app. Um, but there's there's a lot of potential, and they they clearly ramping up on the AR things um it seemed like there was it seems like there's more focus on AR kit than there should be if you see what I mean yes yeah it's then it's current importance to the operating system right and two devices yeah it's it's almost as if you know there might be something in future there was a nice job listing I saw on the Apple store and it was for somebody doing uh uh sort of ui kit style frameworks for vr and ar you know for you know having your buttons and your controls and whatever within uh that 3d space and i'm thinking hmm that sounds like it would be useful if you had say some kind of glasses Mm. but so i'm gonna keep playing with the with the ar stuff you know evenings and weekends we shall say yeah sure (laughs) (laughs) um i think it you know another thing for me is very telling who uh who they sent to the talk show this year and yeah it was the the head of ar right Um, and i found that that conversation i found it really fascinating um i want to get head of ar and vr don't forget yeah and vr and vr VR. mike rockwell um was the gentleman's name and i really enjoyed hearing him speak he he seemed like obviously he really knows what he's doing and and i really much enjoyed that that uh, we we went to it live um but i think that that's very telling that they want i think apple clearly want to get mike rockwell's name known and uh, and his face known and his voice known so that that would tell me that we may see him on stage soon uh, because he will be demoing the glasses at some point. Um, and even landed with a fantastic kind of pseudo slip up from Greg Joswiak, right? Where he was kind of like, oh, in the years to come, uh, we may see a new new form factor for AR. Uh, that I that made me smile because I I'm not sure he would have said that if uh, maybe he'd spent an extra second thinking about it. But I don't know. Um, what about Project Sneak Peek? Uh, this is the the idea of marzipan, uh, marzipan right? Uh, I, you mean Project Marzipeak? Marzipeak. This is uh, this is going to get too confusing if we continue going <laughs> down this this level of uh, of naming. Um, you currently maintain both iOS and Mac versions of Peakalk. Do you think that you would likely stop working on the AppKit version once this this has become a thing next year? So the I think the devil is in the details on all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so the current version of the Mac app is actually a port of the iOS app already. So what I did was I threw away the old Mac app and I took the iOS code 
and I ported it over to the Mac. And then I wrote Mac stuff around the edges of it, mm-hmm. you know, for sort of Windows menus and all that stuff. And going into the, the, the Marzipan stuff, I was thinking that that might be the way that they would do it. So that you could have, you know, you would use some UI kit and then you might have some app kit stuff for doing the, the Mac specific bits. And currently it doesn't sound like that might be the case. I think Steve Straughton Smith was poking around at things and he was saying if you try and mix in some app kit, things go badly wrong. That might be where they want to be in, you know, 15 months or whatever, but I don't think they're there yet. So I would like to do it. Um, I would like to have uh, most of the source shared. Like one thing I did on the iOS version after the, the I ported it was I added the layout editing. And I thought, mm-hmm. I'd like to do the layout editing on the Mac, but I'm going to have to rewrite a lot of this code to do it. And so it hasn't happened yet. So if I could just instantly take the code, put it on the Mac, there you go. Uh, and there are other things that the iOS version does better. Like you, it's better at handling resizing. So you could do the sort of full screen, split screen stuff on the uh, on the Mac and you would just get that. I would get that for free. But if it would effectively have to dumb down certain things or make them unmac like or, you know, like, could I have a preferences dialogue or would I... Um, have to have it all the sort of UI kit style controls within the app. Things like that. Um, I think it's wait and see. I would love to do it. Um, it would make my my job a lot easier. Um, and the thing that I was thinking about was, you know, the Mac is not necessarily defined by what framework an app is written in. We had Carbon and Cocoa apps. You know, they they both lived side by side. It was everything was different under the hood, but you could build a nice Mac app with both. If you can build a nice Mac app using this stuff, then I see no reason not to use it. Um, what that says for the future of AppKit, that's a good question. Does it make you want to pursue any more ideas for Mac apps? If the, if if I'm assuming these days you're probably more well versed in UIKit. Um. So I think it complicates things. Like, so what it means is right now, because this is a year away from us getting, you know, actual details, do I want to do any more real Mac-specific code on the Mac version? Ah, probably not. It's, you know, if that code might be thrown away in a year's time. Um, likewise, um, do I want to sort of look at something like Drag Thing again? Do I revive that? And if I did that, you know, it's going to probably make more sense still doing that in AppKit because the UI kit stuff is not going to have any of the the support for the sort of system-wide things that I want to do. Um, it it complicates things. I think it, it is it's not clear yet where this is going to go and wh- how much focus is going to be on this. I mean, Apple is using it. They have brought over these these apps, um, you know, the, the notes, uh, stocks and uh, voice recorder and all that. And I think we'll, I haven't really played with them to see how much they feel like Mac apps or if they just feel like this is a quick and dirty port of an iOS app. Because I don't think, I don't think the typical Mac audience, that's what they're looking for. And uh, if the Mac app store 
just becomes flooded with like every person who does an iOS app just hits hits a button, makes a Mac app, uploads it to the Mac App Store. I I don't see that as being good. Well, it's better than the current state of the Mac App Store, I think. Well, yeah, but I think this is one of the big questions is um what is the volume into the Mac App Store from iOS next year because I've seen people who are very enthusiastic and and have said there'll be a flood. And I've also heard people say there won't be very many. It won't really move the needle. It's not going to make a big difference because um, most developers are not going to are not going to bother, or they're going to already have a solution that they built using something like Electron that gives them Mac and Windows, and then they can forget about it. And I, I'd like to think that it's going to be somewhere in between those two extremes, but I do think there is a scenario where Apple rolls this out, and it's a very small number of developers who really take advantage of it. But it might that might be enough to make the Mac a richer place, a richer environment to be a user. But still, it may not be you know everybody in the mac apps or the ios app store is just uh, can't wait to be a mac one of the app. the interesting comments when they were they were talking about this they said you know for ios uh developers this could be a way to get extra revenue um by putting it on the mac app store and that was interesting because that suggested to me that they were not looking at you know well you buy this once on ios and then you also automatically own it on mac right uh, that might be something that they're wanting to do in the future, but that that was that was interesting. Or they were just thinking of, well, it's going to be on another platform, so maybe you get more of your magic coins that you're selling to um, gullible people in video game. <laughs> but I do think that's a that, it's a good question. Like in the long run, if they have a unified app platform, would they not have a unified app store? where just as if you're on an iPad and you search, you see iPad apps by default, that you would eventually see Mac apps. And if at the very least, this idea, they could make it so that if you buy that app and it's available on all the platforms, you just get it on all the platforms. Mm -hmm. And that's not where they are now, but it is possible in the future. So there was an, always when I watch the keynotes, there's that you're you're in the reality distortion field and then you get outside and you start thinking it thinking about it for a while and you're like oh wait a minute they didn't mention this at all and yeah one of the things was i was expecting some kind of app store where i could go on to the you know i would click a link it would take me to a web page i'd see a preview of the app i could buy it i click apple pay boom it appears on all the devices it will go on and things like that and there was while we had some redesigned app store stuff there was no no movement on anything like that right and so we didn't yeah that that that's a concern because you know if the if the move i mean we sell the mac version separately and just this morning i had somebody saying well i I just bought this on my on my iphone why can't i run it on my mac and it's like well you know right now there's a lot of extra work i do to make a mac version and i think that justifies you know that it is a separate product but if it's literally just a one click and it produces a mac version i could see people being you know reasonably annoyed that they have to pay again for it so yeah we'll see all right should we move into some hashtag ask upgrade 
Let's do it. Before we do, let me thank Linode for their support of this week's episode. With Linode, you have access to a suite of powerful hosting options with prices starting at just $5 a month for you to get up and running with your own virtual server in the Linode cloud, which you can get running in just under a minute. Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers who are all serviced by their friendly 24-7 support team. You can email them, call them, or even chat over IRC in the Linode community. Linode know how important it is to get you the help that you want, and they also have a suite of amazing guides and support documentation to give you a reference when you need it. No matter what type of assistance you want, they want to do their best to give that to you. Linode have an intuitive control panel that will allow you to deploy, boot, resize, snapshot, and clone your virtual servers in just under a few clicks, so you can get everything done super quickly, and they feature two-factor authentication to help keep you safe. Linode have fantastic pricing options available. For just $5 a month, you can get one gigabyte of RAM with your virtual server, and they have high memory plans as well that start with 16 gigabytes of RAM, so they have something for every use. As a listener of this show, if you sign up today at linode.com upgrade, you'll not only be supporting us, but also getting $20 towards any Linode plan. On the one gigabyte of RAM plan, that's four free months, and with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. So go to linode.com upgrade to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit, or use the promo code upgrade2018 at checkout. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and Relay FM. So our first hashtag ask upgrade question, thank you very much, goes comes uh, from Charlie this week. And Charlie says, I want to buy AirPods as a gift for someone who needs new headphones. Should I wait for potentially an AirPods 2 or do you think that could be coming maybe not even this year at all? The only thing that matters to this person is longer talk time, which in theory AirPods 2 would get. What do you think, Jason? I would not wait. I don't know when we'll see a new set of AirPods. They could be this fall, but they will be two years. At the same time, AirPods are pretty great. Does Apple feel is Apple feeling pressure? And it it is a very difficult thing to engineer. Mm-hmm. So there could be AirPods to this fall. I think AirPods are great as it is. So I wouldn't wait, even though there there there's always going to be something new. But I think that this is a product that does not feel old in any way and that apple could absolutely get away with not updating them for another year and so maybe they will and maybe they won't but um you know i i I don't know i mean yes they will there will always be a better version in the future but at some point you just gotta buy the product that you want and of all these apple products that are hanging out there that that there might be a new version between now and the end of the year airpods is not one that i would wait for a new version for i mean they're they're struggling to ship you know that air power mat and the Mm -hmm. charger for the original airpods and all of that are they really going to do a new airpods this this fall they could but i I wouldn't wait they're they're good as it is I, i i just i don't see the I don't feel like whatever they re- would introduce this fall would be so dramatically different that you'd be kicking yourself. I'd also say that if they're looking, if the main thing is longer talk time, you know, the the, the Beats X and the Power Beats, they have varying levels of extra battery power. Right, true. Helpful. That's a really good point. And it, and it has Hashtag a lot of, ask James. Uh, ask, ask James. has a lot of the same technology inside <laughs> of those two, so could be worth looking at. Um, Azure has asked, why is Apple moving so slowly on iPad productivity? I spent a school year using it as a, my teacher laptop, but there were no changes, not even low-hanging fruit like viewing two docs or two sheets in, in those applications, so like two Google Docs and two Google Sheets side by side. I love my iPad for consumption, but basic tasks can still be difficult. So I, I, I want to jump in with this one first. Um, I understand right. where Andrew is coming from. I do disagree with some yeah. of the points made, um, you know, because I don't find it difficult 
for for tasks because I do the majority of my work on the iPad. But I understand the point being made. Um, Apple did not have a lot of changes this year, but I wasn't expecting them. I think that the, the rumors definitely said that way. And even when they announced everything they announced in iOS 11, I wasn't expecting big changes in iOS 12. I think we're going to see a lot of that stuff in iOS 13, if it's going to be called that. I really want them to get rid of those numbers at some point, though. Um, it's just it's getting t- difficult to keep track of now. I keep calling iOS 12, iOS 11, thinking that that's the new one. Um, but I think that stuff like Siri shortcuts is really going to help with people using their devices in a productive nature. Um, and so that will be a change. Um, yes, of course, they have not advanced I- iPad, uh, the iOS on the iPad to have more to take advantage than they did in iOS 11, but I think they will. And I think in the meantime, this is going to be better for iPad productivity than iOS 10 was, which had basically nothing uh, from iOS 9 to, uh, to iOS 10. So I think it's going to wait and see. Yes, there are lots of things that could be better, and I think they will get better. But I think iOS 11 hasn't aged as fast as iOS 9 did. Yeah, I agree that it's easy to look at this and say, oh, no iPad features. And like the fact is, a lot of these features are great iPad features. They're just not iPad-specific features, but they will help anybody who's using an iPad. I do think, and the rumors back this up, right, the reports from people like Mark Gurman, that Apple did take a bunch of things that they had on the agenda for this version and toss them out. And seeing what they announced, I can actually see how they could get away with it. Like, let's focus on these and having them be really good. Um, Yes, I would love that feature that lets an app fairly easily drop, you know, put up a second version of itself, essentially a second window. I would love to see that. The one that we talked about last week came up in several conversations I had is it seems like the biggest pain for any of us who are using split view is you can't tell where focus is. You can't tell which app is basically front most. During the keynote, I was trying to type something in my Twitter app and I could not get it to go in the Twitter app. It just kept going in my notes instead. And, and you know, it's like, if I tap, if I tap here, can I type a keyboard shortcut? No. Um, it's just infuriating. And it's going to be another year, and that's too bad. But um, there is a lot of thing, you know. There's a lot of iPad productivity stuff that's in there now that will be okay. Um, but I agree. I, I'm frustrated, but at the same time, I, I feel like iOS 12 does have a lot of benefits. I, I do wish they were tinkering with it every year. I think this is one of the um, victims of that. You know, sort of let's take it slow and not try to push everything into a release so that we have you know security and stability and. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sad because I don't like iPad features rolling out every other year, but I'm okay with it. I think it's also possible that, um, we might get some updates as the year goes on because it, some things might take 18 months or they might take, you know, that's always the dream. There was a rumor at one, at one point they were, they were rumored to be rolling iPad features in mid year and then they ended up holding them for iOS 11. There was thought that there might be a 10.5 basically that had iPad features. Also, we all expect there to be new iPads this fall. And mm-hmm. so it's not impossible yeah. that there would be some iPad features that would be rolled out with new iPads. I do think something like sharing two wind, uh, more easily putting two windows in an app is something that if we were going to see it this year, we would see it at WWDC yeah. because developers would have to support that. And since we didn't see it, I think that's not going to happen. But it is possible they'll tinker with some things either when the iPads come out or in you know later on in the year. I would love 
love to see Apple add more substantive features throughout the year um, instead, because then, then if you take your time with something and it's not ready, it's not a year that you have to wait. I mean, we got the ARKit 1.5, which was, you know, some significant new features and it was delivered just in, in an update. It's not impossible. Now you're getting my hopes up, James. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> um, that. That's what I'm here for. Thank you. John has asked, is it possible to control an AirPlay 2 compatible Sonos in conjunction with a HomePod? Like having one HomePod in the main living space, then having outfitting the rest of your house with connected Sonos speakers that support AirPlay 2? Well, we don't know, right? Like, no, the Sonos stuff hasn't been updated for AirPlay 2 yet, right? Mm-hmm. I think but that's coming. forthcoming. Yeah, it's coming soon. Um, so only Sonos knows for sure. I'm going to imagine yes, because I think all AirPlay 2 devices are on the network registered as AirPlay 2 devices with names. And so you should be able to... um, I know for an iOS device, if you play to two AirPlay speakers and one of them would be a Sonos and one of them would be a HomePod, it should just work. Like that, that they're two, they're two AirPlay 2 devices. Um, so I'm going to assume actually that this is true, that this is part of what AirPlay 2 does. But until we, you know, maybe Sonos knows because they're working on this. I would sure hope that Sonos knew. <laughs> yeah. I would like to think they tested this at some point. Yeah. but Well, either they know or nobody knows. Nobody knows. But I, I, I'm optimistic about that. Mark wants to know, was the Apple Podcast Studio back at WWDC this year? Oh boy, was it ever. It was it was back and better than ever with a giant... So inside one of the rooms at the convention center, there was a podcast studio. And this year, the people from Apple Podcasts put it together and they, they had a giant... Um, last year they did it, but this year they did it with this giant styrofoam kind of cube of a studio that was meant to be sound deadening. And it had like the Apple podcast logo, um, like carved into the styrofoam and stuff. And I'm I'm not, I'm serious. It was basically polystyrene walls that were like 10 feet high, uh, wrapping around the studio. And they had a couple of people working, uh, console with logic and they were recording. They had four Shure SM77B 70, microphones, the microphone I use every day. So I was, I was at home when I was in there. Um, and I believe Relay recorded at least two podcasts two. in that studio. Mike. Yep. There was a B-Sides, um, which is uh, going to be in our show notes, which was really fun. It was Casey, Liss, and underscore David Smith. And they were talking about the fact that David was the uh, podcast photographer um of the week he he photographed atp live and the relay fm live shows so he was talking about what that was like and in the show notes for that episode is a photo of uh casey and underscore in the studio so you can see the apple podcast logo carved into the polystyrene uh that was surrounding and also uh, there is a uh, show that is specifically just for relay fm members so if you are a relay fm member there is a special show that you get once a month and jason snell took the reins with federico and casey and they had a really really good discussion about some of the ramifications um, of WWC stuff and I really liked it because it was three people with who are not typically on shows together and it was really right. nice to hear the three of you talking because I really I listened to that today and really really enjoyed it so if you are a Relay FM member you can get that I, I, I'm you know the number of times I've been on a podcast with Federico is almost zero mm-hmm. and Casey pretty close to that um, I did that special analog and all, you know, mm-hmm. but, and, and he's been on a couple of incomparables, but not a lot. So, um, 
I, I did like a, an episode of the TV podcast about Mr. Robot where I talked to Stephen and Federico. I think that might have been the last time I was on a podcast yeah, with we should, Federico. We should fix that. Huh? We, should, we should get Federico on an episode of Upgrade soon, shouldn't we, Jason? Yeah, we should. That is a good idea. Summer Perhaps it would fun. be fun. Summer of fun. Summer um, of fun. The uh, I will also mention the Six Colors uh, members get a podcast mm-hmm. every week-ish with me and Dan, and we talk about stuff. And it's good. People uh, like it a lot. They do. It's really good. But where did you record? <laughs> Very so we recorded that in studio. the <laughs> podcast studio that was on a concrete bench outside <laughs> the Hammer Theater one while drinking our tea uh-huh. one morning. Um, and that is, I released that. It's posted on the Six Colors website. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can just listen to the MP3 of that, even if you're not a member. Um, but if you like hearing from me and Dan, you can become a member and then subscribe to the the podcast and get it every week-ish. Um and uh, that one is, it was two microphones and we were outside in person. So I mixed it. It's sort of like slightly stereo and you can hear birds chirping in the background. Although the the reviews are that it sounds pretty good for a mm-hmm. podcast recorded outside. If you have the right microphones, outside podcasts sound pretty good. In fact, I believe Under the Radar last week was also released. It was. Recorded live, yeah. live at a cafe. At social um, policy, so, I, I was walking past and saw just saw a podcast occurring, which was which yeah. was kind of fun. Adventures. Well, this is what happens. There's a photo on Twitter um, that somebody was walking by and didn't bother us, but realized that we were recording a podcast because it's two guys sitting there with microphones, and he knew who we were and took a picture of it. So some there is a secret picture of the secret podcast mm-hmm. being recorded by me and Dan. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's fun. So yes, adventures in live podcast recording happened last week for sure. I, I realized uh, when when you guys came back from the the Six Colors recording that I do a very bad impression of the Six Colors podcast. Would you like to hear it? You, ooh, I've already yes. heard it. Hi, Dan. Hello, Jason. That's my uh, re- that's my impression. That's how every episode that's starts, good. and Solid. I love it. I love the Six Colors Solid. secret podcast. People should listen to it. Our last question today comes from Matthew. Matthew says, "Do you think that Apple may have been planning a MacBook and MacBook Pro refresh, like a spec upgrade at WWDC, but maybe have held it back based on growing concerns about keyboards?" I, the, the, it seems very specific. Uh, I'm going to say the chances are chances are low that this mm-hmm. is this is the reason. Um, they've known about keyboards for a while now. If there's if there's a production adjustment that happened because of uh, wanting to change the keyboards, it probably happened a while ago, and they're just waiting for them to to be there. I don't think. I mean, it's possible that this is a cascade of things uh, involving a change that happened a while ago that has reached the point where um, the product got delayed later than they thought because of the change, I, I guess. Um, but it would have been, I, I just, I don't think it was like, oh, geez, the keyboards, we can't release it this week. I, I, I think it's way more complicated than that. Um, so I wouldn't put it at the feet of the keyboards. I, I obviously there's a Mac um, release that needs to happen at some point that, later this year, mm-hmm. and it didn't happen here, and that's okay. So we'll we'll get it later. Um, you know, it's only been a year since the the last laptop refresh, and while I would prefer Apple to refresh their laptops more often than once a year, um, if they do it in the next few months, it's not going to be a, a big deal. It's also possible that there's an Intel thing where there's a process that they're waiting for that they don't have from Intel. I don't know. There's lots of reasons. And as well as them having an idea for how they want to roll it out and they want to roll it out at a different time. Maybe they want to roll it out with with Mojave in the fall. They might do that. Who knows? Mojave, Mo MacBooks. Um, Okay. Yep. Uh, James Thompson, thank you so much for joining us. Where can uh, people find your work? Where would you like to direct the Upgradians to 
Um, I think the best place to look for me is on Twitter, uh, James Thompson, T-H-O-M-S-O-N. Mm-hmm. Uh, and peekout.com if you want to see a website that should have been updated about 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> it's a it's an old website with some fancy new logos. Yeah. Um, but uh, thank you for having me on this flagship show. Oh, it's a pleasure. I, I never heard it discussed like that, but I like it. Upgrade is a flagship show. Wouldn't you agree, Jason? Of course, I would agree. Absolutely. You can find Jason at sixcolors.com and he is at JasonL on Twitter. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thanks again to all of your sponsors this week, Linode, FreshBooks, and Casper. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell and James Thompson. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>